free drop here, no doubt. Yeah, free drop. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. Made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Folks, happy Sunday afternoon. Dylan DeChair here. Welcome to the Drop Zone. Joined as always by Sean Zock. Sean, this is why we do it, right? This is why <laughs> this is why we think about the PGA Tour as an entity, how it should be uh, the best version of itself. This is why we kind of this is why we put in the time thinking about the future of this tour. Because at the end of the day, when professional golf tournaments are good coming down the back nine on Sunday, they are really, really good. It's hard for any other sport to really capture the same intensity, drama, moments building, and God, we got a really good golf tournament this weekend. Um, how are you? I'm great. Uh, I had this really weird thought today. Last with me for about 10 minutes. It's kind of a sad thought, but the thought is, like, do live golf guys watch golf today? Do mm. they tune in for the madness? Um because it was fantastic golf viewing. And if live golfers are golf sickos, they had to watch the golf today. They had to. Ian Poulter, Orlando resident. I mean, he could have just well, maybe, yeah, come maybe on by. In person. Um, he could have been there. Yeah. Kind of snake in the grass situation. Um, did you post up? Were you able to watch most of the golf this afternoon? Yeah, I watched the golf while writing my book. Ooh, um, and another good plug, which is a hard thing to do at the same time. Um, but what I ended up loving about that experience is that I was mostly typing, but you know, had the volume on the television out in the corner of my eye, uh, and it was on pretty low, but loud enough that you could hear it. <laughs> and it, we happened to have this Jordan Spieth round taking place in which Spieth goes out early birdies four of his first five holes I think yeah four of his first five makes a ridiculous par on six and um Spieth is like the perfect person for that type of viewing experience because he is all over the place and so you're you're paying these like pretty random views to the television and you're kind of just listening into what Azinger and Hicks are saying and it's like Hey, he's really not hitting it well at all today. And you you look and you see Jordan is like chipping from uh, the side of the lake, and you're like, "Gosh, I wonder what he's at." I haven't really been paying attention. And then it's like, "Oh, he's five under. He's leading the tournament." And I mean, the Jordan Spieth round is the perfect round to just kind of glance at. Like you know, when we were listening, when we were watching the World Cup, and you'd have it on during the day, and you just kind of pay a little latent attention to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what it felt like today. I was just kind of glancing at the television every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. When the announcer's speak. voice kind of swells of like, oh, and there's <laughs> yeah. a chance at goal. And in this case, it's like, and oh, gee, like what? And what in God's name is Jordan Spieth doing? <laughs> yeah. Or it's like, here's That's Jordan Spieth like. standing over a five footer and you know that anything could happen. Yes. So that was a true thrill. And like the perfect example of how you got into the real action today. Um, Spieth really carried carried us for a few hours when the rest of the guys were really kind of up and down. Like there was a lot going on with Scheffler, Hovland, Rory made a bunch of bogeys, Kitayama made double, uh, triple it got ugly, triple excuse me. He got it got ugly for like a lot of guys in the middle there, 
and that attrition uh, was carried by Spieth's circus, and that's just good golf to watch. We've got to pay our dues, pay our respects, I should say, um, to the man that that took home the red card again. That's Kurt Kitayama. Quads, a.k.a. Quadzilla, <laughs> a.k.a. the Quadfather. Fantastic set of nicknames. You don't... People oh. people have complained that there aren't enough good nicknames on the PJ Tour anymore. I mean, that's pretty good stuff. Um, I have one re- issue. What's your I have issue? one issue is that, like, as a Green Bay Packers fan, AJ Dillon has really, really big thighs. Yeah, and people call him the Quad Father. So oh. I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think I'm gonna take up Quad Father. Yeah. Um, but I am just happy to call him Quads. Quads. So long as he's, so long as it's in, re- in reference to his upper uh, thigh and not the scores. That it looked making. on number nine like we could be headed <laughs> for a different, different type of. Oh, quadzilla. I bet you you had a tweet queued up for Quad Father. <laughs> well, that's that's all I could think score. of the other day when um, Quad Father first surfaced, and then, gosh, number nine, it really felt like we were headed in that direction. So to recap his round, Kurt came in holding the lead, but you know, with the the King's army chasing him, um, makes birdie at three bogeys, the, the easy par five fourth, or none of these holes are easy, but you know, relatively <laughs> easy compared to all the other holes comes back with birdies at six birdie at seven, his, his, uh, approach shot into the sixth hole, that par five around the water was a thing of beauty. At that point, he'd opened up a two shot lead on the field. And then suddenly Florida golf just jumped out at him. This kept happening to various <laughs> different guys that would would get into position before stepping on various rakes. Um, but number nine hooks his tee shot, and there is a strange, strange out-of-bounds situation down the left side of the ninth hole where there is a cart path that marks the boundary. And so there's not like a fence per se. I think there's a fence eventually, but they decided that if it is on the left, if, it is, if it's left of the cart path, it's out of bounds. In this case, the ball was left of the cart path by like three inches. If it had been on the cart path, he would have gotten, you know, a free drop. He would have gotten, they would have brought him cookies and something <laughs> delicious to drink. Instead, leads to uh, having to kind of scramble just to make triple bogey. Suddenly, he's out of the lead. And Sean, at that point, I don't think anyone thought, Kurt Kitayama was going to win this golf tournament. Yeah. Yeah. And how many times have we seen something like that happen from a non-winner on the PGA tour? You're staring at your leaderboard. You're up to, it's the front nine. The course is not easy, nor is it playing easy. And one bad break could, could be on a shot. That's not even that bad of a shot just unravels the entire thing. It's like, it's like those strings of thread that kind of like show up on your sweatshirt and you're not supposed to tug on them, but you like tug on them and it gets longer and longer and <laughs> suddenly the whole shirt unravels. Um, that's what a bad hole can do for someone who has not won on the PGA Tour. And he really settled in and never completely bombed out and stopped the bleeding. And that just doesn't happen that much. I think you have to be a very forthright thinker and also just a really like truly like probably a top 50 player to not get shook in those moments. Yeah. Clearly did not. He did not make a bogey the rest of the way. Um, He made a bunch of clutch par saves. 
Yes, you could argue he, he could have picked up a birdie at the 16th where he hit the green and two on the par five. Um, but after three putting there, it came back with a really gutsy line on the tee shot on the par three 17th and then poured in a putt right in the middle. And then 18, I don't know if it was nervy or if it's just a tight tee shot, but he ended up well left in some lettuce. He hit the perfect golf shot from there. Yeah. Hacked yeah. it out into the middle of the green, leaving a really, really just scary, anxiety-inducing 40-foot putt and came like two millimeters from making it. Just stopped maybe in that one millimeter. It lo- I mean, I kept thinking, oh, maybe this is going to fall in. Maybe this thing is going to go. And then I was thinking, God, how could this get complex? Like, what if he gets up there, <laughs> taps it in while it's moving? What if he waits too long and then he gets a penalty for waiting more than ten seconds? Like, yeah, how does that how work? This so if he weird? waited, if he waited ten seconds and then as he's walking up on the fifteenth second, the ball drops, he has to. He takes a penalty. I can't remember exactly how it works because it always, <laughs> he is always, this has always seemed dumb to me because in my mind, if the ball is still moving to the point where it could actually fall in, then that means there's no way you can play it. So there shouldn't ever be a potential penalty in that situation because if the ball is falling in, you know, the ball's not moving. Yeah. So at any given point, <laughs> I don't know. Schroeder's anyway, mark, something it was like not that. an issue. Instead, he got to do the extremely, <laughs> extremely cool move of marking the ball where when it is literally on the edge of the cup. Um, step that was back so sick. while Victor Hovland so three-putted and then tapped in for for his first PGA Tour win, almost $4 million in earnings. Shout out to Kurt Kitayama. Job well done. I was... I was really worried that he was going to mark it and then in the process of yes. remarking it was going to like accidentally knock it. Just in drop it in. Hand. Yeah. What happens there? <laughs> <laughs> Just a lot of unprecedented situations or, or yeah. even like, I don't know. No one's ever hit a putt that short after marking the ball. So maybe mm-hmm. there's some weird way you could screw it up. Luckily it seemed pretty hard to actually miss that putt. He did not miss the putt. Um, this is a good golfer. He's been in contention. He has really gone toe to toe with some of the best players in the world, Xander mm-hmm. Shoffley, John Rahm. Like he has been in contention and played well. He's also been in contention and played poorly, but for the most part, you know the lights have not been too bright for him. He's got these big misses lurking, but he's also got a really like just top tier talent. And he hits the ball a long way. He hits the ball a really long way. For a, a not a tall fella, no, not at all. Five six, five seven. One thing I, I do want to tell you: what we have to do every single time a player wins, an American wins a big tournament this year. Yes, he's gonna get a lot of Ryder Cup points. Wow, he's fr- he's friends with a number of Ryder Cup players. Look, it's obviously too early, but it's never too early when you're actually in a Ryder Cup year. So think about it. Just think about it. You know, I hadn't thought about that until just now. <laughs> well, he, he has he's like not high on the Ryder Cup rankings, but he will be higher tomorrow. A lot higher tomorrow. Do you know what he jumps to in the world ranking? What's no, I don't. just guess, what's your instinct? I've got it in front of me. Uh he's forty sixth uh going into the week. Yeah. I'm guessing big field, he probably jumps to like twenty seventh. Nineteenth. Inside the top Sheesh. 20 in the world, Kurt Kitayama, one spot wow. ahead of 
Ryder Cup lock, Keegan Bradley. <laughs> he had a good weekend. He did. He, well, he had a nice Sunday. So, Well, apparently he was all state in high school basketball, which will give you a lot of credit on this golf show, at least on my half of this golf show. Yeah, he grew up. I think he grew up in the same hometown as Aaron Rodgers, but yeah, I don't think exactly. they went to the same high school. No. So, Rivals, I think. I don't really know what else to compare. Did Aaron Rodgers play college or play high school hoops? You know, you'd think you'd be, you'd be asking the right guy, being a Packers fan, but I have no clue. Yeah. And I'm the kind of person who would know that, being a basketball aficionado. I feel like most and- NFL QBs played high school basketball at least through like ninth grade 10th grade yeah tough to verify at this point um back to the golf yeah uh there's a lot to get through sean because there were a lot of people that could have won this tournament there were a lot of people that i i'm trying to think of who i'm most disappointed in not winning look rory mcelroy was in position to really win this tournament um and he did not Scotty Scheffler was really in position to reach a playoff with Kitayama um, at, at some point. And Tyrrell Hatton had a great putt to get to eight under and put more pressure on. Jordan Spieth was at, I think, 10 under par at one point during the day. I think he's and number one. So, I think that so Jordan leader. Spieth is the, the, the most disappointing, <laughs> the guy also- who is the most disappointed coming out of this. Yeah, what? Which? Who are you most disappointed in? Was was what I was thinking. Okay. Because if if you had to choose at the beginning of the day any player on the leaderboard to run up to ten under and also fade back to seven under, <laughs> you'd probably put Spieth at one and maybe you'd put Rory at two. And sure enough, both guys came through. Um, I mean, Spieth just from the you know he was five under for his round through thirteen holes. I believe at that point he was ten under par. And that obviously would have been a winning score if he could just get to the house, especially with 16. You've got such a gettable par five, almost playing like a par four. Instead, he misses short putts at 14, 15, 16, 17. Is this what this is going to be like watching him moving forward? I don't know, man. I don't. I think so. That's what scares me is I think <laughs> that the maddeningness or the maddening nature of watching him play golf is what pulls us in because it's a roller coaster. Um, but at the same time, it's so hard to like trust someone like him when he's standing over a five footer yeah. and that's, that was the eventual conclusion of today's round. Yeah. You can be a birdie train. Yeah. You can chip in like nobody else. Yeah. You are at some point a really fun ball striker and a, a magician of sorts, but also at some point you undercut yourself with this bulky flat stick and i guess that like when you think about him being good in a major championship winning another major the flat stick is what freaks me out i want to preface this by saying that no one seemed to be able to make a putt like the greens looked crispy as hell it looked really (laughs) really hard to putt out there but jordan spieth gets to 14 uh holding a one shot lead 10 under par kitayama was the only guy that got there um, during the tournament, five feet, four inches for par after a nice chip on 14 misses that 15 delicious recovery shot gives himself three feet, eight inches for par misses that 16 par five, really nice approach from I think 84 yards, 
five feet, eight inches, misses that. 17, <laughs> uh, misses the green. Not a great chip, but he still has just eight feet for par. Misses that. So, I mean, I think that's four pots so combined, confusing. like what, 25 feet or something. Yeah, because at one point, I believe it was on the 10th or 11th hole. Again, this was what happens when you're kind of only listening out of the corner of your ear to this broadcast. Yes. But I remember Azinger or Hicks saying on the 10th or 11th hole, ah, and that's Spieth's first miss inside 15 feet. Yes, he, he had, had 12 putts at that point. He had, <laughs> he had taken 12 putts. He had made everything he looked at. It is just, I mean, it's confounding. It was the full Spieth experience today. Um we really got a dose of great golfers getting humbled this weekend, this whole week, I guess. We'll get to John Rahm. We'll get to Rory. but And James Hahn. James Hahn, sure, yeah. Um, yeah, so Jordan Spieth comes out of the week, T4, having shot two under par today, but he is the guy that is probably kicking himself the most, and then I'd say right behind him, let's talk about Rory. And, and his round because, I mean, God, we've had some whiffs of this sort of thing in majors. Mm-hmm. Um, he made, uh, he made what, I think six pars today. He made five bogeys today. He made seven birdies today. There's a <laughs> lot happening. I mean, he starts off needing a hot round to, to have any chance. Starts off bogey, bogey, and then... Birdies four and five, bogey seven, birdies nine, birdies ten, birdies twelve, thirteen. <laughs> Suddenly he's leading by himself and then slips on his tee shot on 14 and hits it in the bunker. It was like no one wanted this thing. Um, mm-hmm. That looked unfortunate. I think we've all had that specific shot. I don't know. If, you know, I don't know if you call that bad luck. I don't know if that's something you got to make sure it doesn't happen but yeah his back foot just slipped out he hits that tug and uh, leaves himself a really really hard bunker shot at 14 i think he said afterwards he didn't know that he was leading at that point and maybe wouldn't have yes. got so aggressive otherwise yes that almost so seemed irrelevant. a different club yeah well it's it's also because he missed about um, like 25 yards yeah um i think this is this is great for Rory that he did step back and contended was in the lead on Sunday because of all people, you actually had been kind of pointing out that he had not played that great since coming back to the PGA tour yeah. uh, in the designated events in February. So this is a net positive, a, a move in the right direction for Rory. Um, I'm very keen to see what happens next week at the players, because that is another very difficult Florida golf course that, um, with any decent weather conditions will play difficult and is the kind of test that people look to when analyzing masters chances. And it felt like a, a single month ago, we had three people absolutely peaking. We had Scotty Scheffler peaking. He might still be peaking. John Rahm felt like he was peaking uh, and it also felt like Rory was, right? It felt like Rory's on fire yep. still from the fall. And um, Rory receded a little bit. John, I don't want to overreact to what was just one tournament, but um, he put on some confusing golf this weekend. Um, and so I just, I just, 
that's what's so tough about these peaks is you want to appreciate them for what they are in the moment. You want to use them as prognostication for what will come in the future. And we're not that far from Augusta National. So I want to see people peaking then. And it feels like it's, it's just a little too far away. We're a little, we're, we're close, but we're just a little still too far away um, from understanding who will be fantastic that week. We are, it's, it's always hard to project. It's hard to know who to compare to. I mean, Riviera sometimes gets used as an Augusta comp, even though the courses look nothing alike, just, I don't know. There seems to be some connection between those two places. Um, but I think if there's, if there is any like criticism of Rory that kind of stands up over the years, it's that he plays really, really well when he doesn't quite have the chance to win. And when he has the chance to show basically, which that's not a, that part's not a dig. It's just that then once he actually catches, once he's the, once he's the dog that catches the car, then he doesn't quite know what to do sometimes. And he didn't quite seize it. And man, that putt on 18 azing or early called that he missed it, but it slid over the right edge. Um, he had about 10 feet for birdie and that would have gotten him to nine under par. That would have changed the whole dynamic but obviously didn't happen. Um, How great is it if a, is, if Paul Azinger early calls putts? That's entertaining, right? Well, he it's did a, it to Tyrrell Hatton too. Yeah, it would have like been Tony really Romo funny if calling it had gone out plays. In. I think that maybe maybe that's the idea. I don't know. I actually this one this one sounded slightly more like just disappointment from Paul because mm. he had really just gone through the whole thing of you know the ghost of Arnold Palmer might might blow this one into the hole sort of thing. And <laughs> oh then, my god. So I think there what? was a little disappointment um that you know that I one would like didn't to lob go. something into the air that might need to get swatted down but also you might you might uh cherish it a little bit. Um are you about to slander I'm, Mr. Palmer on this podcast? <laughs> I think so. I just think that no one is forgetting Arnold Palmer. No one is. He is uh, arguably one of the three most important golfers who ever lived uh, in terms of everything. Championships, success, ability, uh, marketability, pushing the game forward uh, into a modern sense, establishing the PGA Tour, fighting for the PGA Tour against Greg Norman back in 94. This is uh, where Stephen but- A. Smith comes in with the... However, (laughs) (laughs) however, however, holy cow, it feels like we use the week of the Arnold Palmer Invitational as a week where we can talk about nothing else. It, it really feels like every discussion, you know, you were asking me if we should, uh, if we should critique the broadcast or how much we should, I would say that would be my critique is like when, when we had a walk and talk with Ricky Fowler one of the biggest sections of the walk and talk with Ricky Fowler is about his connection to Arnold Palmer. And um, it just gets laid on really, really thick. When when we had a driving range discussion with uh, Tyrrell Hatton ahead of his Thursday round, you know, they asked him, hey, what was your relationship with Arnold Palmer? He didn't have one. He never met the guy. And it, it just feels like, we spent so much time during Arnold Palmer Invitational Week talking about Arnold Palmer that I don't know, man. It's just, it feels like we can't have a nuanced discussion about him. 
it's all just positivity, optimism. reverential. It's very golf so, in that way. Yes. Yeah. And I guess I would appreciate if we could um, talk about him in the current sense of the game, right? Uh, the things that he did that helped fight off whatever live would have looked like in 1994. Um, yeah, just that felt weird to me this week during a, a week in which the, the, the PGA Tour has shifted the goalposts in a huge way what would arnold palmer have thought about it what like what did his decisions in the 90s and in the 70s like what did that look like compared to what the tour did this week i just felt like uh yeah the reverential uh (laughs) dumping that was being cast upon the golf viewer this week was too much for me how do you feel about that i mean i would love to take the other side and just come at you for uh, Arnie slander. I'm sure there will be some viewers who are shouting into their, you know, windshield. Here's my thing with this. I think we have gotten to the point where we want our athletes to be too many things where really as a viewer, I want my golfers focusing on the golf. I want their opinions on their golf. That's the thing that they are most prepared to discuss and I also want to know about them as people and Mm -hmm. what I don't necessarily need the golfers to be are historians of the game I don't I don't really need that that I think is the job of the media the job of the broadcast to put things in perspective to Mm -hmm. draw historical comparisons an extension of this which we'll talk about later is is golfers then also needing to be business executives which has become a part of the job description on the pga tour recently too um but yeah i think in general this just gets these guys out over their skis where they're they just <laughs> don't necessarily need to be we're, we're not necessarily yeah. benefiting from them being in that position so putting tyrell hatton in a position to basically have to say that arnie meant something special to him in particular that that's a little bit weird to me. That is pretty unnecessary. And someone like Ricky, who has leaned into the Arnold Palmer connection more so, it's like really expected that he's just gonna have to revisit that over and over yeah, again. Yeah, and you know so, what Ricky said? What did he say? Ricky was like, he was like, well, <laughs> he paused. He's walking, talking. He's like, Arnold, he treated people like he wanted to be treated. Yeah, and, and like. I wouldn't even necessarily think of the golden rule as one of the first five things when I think of Arnold Palmer. Um, but that was what Ricky came up with in the moment. So it was just kind of awkward and, and odd to me. And um, again, this is not even something I planned on saying on the podcast, but <laughs> it just really stood out to me uh, throughout the week. Can we buzz through the last couple people that are disappointed with today's result? Sure. Tyrrell Hatton was in position. Um, he had, you know, not quite a speed like finish, but he had some misses down the stretch. Bogeyed 12, yes. bogeyed 13, bogeyed 17 when he still had a chance. Um, yeah, I, uh, I was laughing. I watched a video that the European tour produced the DP world tour. They produced a video of Shane Lowry taking on Tyrrell Hatton and the, uh, the thesis of the video or the challenge was the fairway is lava. You cannot hit into the fairway. If you hit into the fairway, it's out of bounds. You have to hit again. 
from wherever you are. Super funny idea, especially for good golfers who are always trying to hit into the fairway. And so the first tee shot Tyrrell hits is like lands in the dead center. (laughs) So that, you know, take a drop and and hit three off the tee. But anyways, the end of the video, um, I guess this is a spoiler, but you should still check it out, is Tyrrell missing a putt, like a 15-footer. And uh, he freaks out like he normally does. He was like this locked in on it. And Shay Lowry says, puts his, he puts his hand on, on Hatton's shoulder and he says, this guy has never hit a bad putt. <laughs> He's never hit a bad putt because of how he reacts. It's always the break. Uh, it's always some misread. It's always the hole going against him. And that is the Tyrrell Hatton experience. And then on 18 today, the exact same thing happened. The ball or his putt, starts right stays right he's freaking out and putting his hands up there and you know trying to mimic the slope and uh azinger also early called that one like right off the <laughs> face and was like that's yeah. not going in and and i was just thinking yeah Trill hatton has never hit a bad putt in his mind because it's always the green's fault i thought it was interesting earlier this week he spoke about how yeah he gets really visibly mad but that actually helps him sometimes because he gets it out and then he can in his mind, generally does a pretty good job moving on to the next shot. Um, the looks that he was giving himself on the back nine today, it just looked like he was saying really, really mean things to himself in his head <laughs> after missing some of those putts. And he was actually more restrained, I think, being around the lead. He was not quite as uh, verbal. He was not quite as demonstrative. Yes, he still deposited a sleeve of golf balls one by one in the pond as he missed putts uh, uh, on on greens that bordered the water. But yeah, another guy with a disappointing T4 finish and another one of those guys, Scotty Scheffler. Weird finish for Scotty. I mean, weird, weird tournament. This guy just lurks. At no point yeah. did it really seem like he was going to win until then he made a birdie on 16. Like he played just sort of a ho-hum final round. He made double on eight and it was like, oh, well, I guess Scotty's not going to be, not going to defend here. Then he birdies nine and then ho-hum takes care of the par fives in the back. Suddenly he's tied for the lead playing 18 and uh, has, I think, wedge in his hand coming in, just shorts it. And then, you know, kind of weird sequence just doesn't get up and down and makes bogey and finishes T4. So it, it didn't feel like he gave this away at any point, but when he was in the 18th fairway, suddenly it felt like, wow, maybe this is the guy who has the best chance to win. I'm going to clue you in on something. What is today? Sunday, March 5th? March 5th. Scotty's going to defend his title and win the Masters. Wow. Back to back. He has played... Uh, He's played great golf this year that has been noticed and also fantastic golf that has gone unnoticed. And I think this is a good week of that. He's just lurking. We're all worried about Kitayama and Spieth and Rory, and he's just lurking. Nolling up, tweeting it out, uh, I think on Saturday, he's played, uh, he played 19 tournament rounds on the PGA Tour going into Sunday, and he had gained strokes in 18 of those rounds. This is just like his his floor is really 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 high and um that's why it's a fun opportunity to say like he's gonna probably 
continue playing at this level just like he did last year and don't be shocked when he shoots 66 on Thursday at Augusta. Let's buzz through a quick um, up and down here this week. Sean, do you want to start? You want me to start? Who who was down this week? I think uh, I think John Rahm's down. Technically, yeah. You know, you fly so high like he does. Shooting seventy six, seventy six, seventy two is down, which is great. <laughs> That's part of the thing that we're gonna do in this segment is talk about people who are like barely down. Look, it's and trending. John Rahm, yeah, yeah. We're not gonna be able to talk about him being down for long. So John Rahm is technically down, um, and the only context to that I think is um, go check out Data Golf because they listed John Rahm's recent play. I think it's his most recent fifty rounds of tournament golf as the fourth best peak in the modern era of professional golf, trailing only Tiger Woods, Vijay Singh, and by a hair, David Duvall. Peak Rom, like we've seen this year, better than peak DJ, better than peak Spieth, better than peak Rory, better than peak J-Day, better than all these guys. And so, yeah, I'm taking him as currently down because he will be back up probably in a matter of days. What a weird, weird week, though, because... He came in. Yeah, we he came in with us in the midst of those sorts of discussions. Like, yeah, talking about okay, where does this run rank in recent memory? And then he comes out, birdies the first three holes on Thursday, and it's on. Shoots and birdies the last three holes. Shoots seven under. Takes a two shot lead in the first round. And literally, the discussion post round was like, it was like, okay, well, we assume he's just going to win this week. Yeah. Then how many more tournaments is he going to win after got, this? <laughs> yeah. And instead then, you know, on Friday comes out, he, he makes three bogeys and a double in his last five holes, shoots 76 and, you know, only drops to like 13th and then shoots another 76. Then today shoots 72 kind of during an earlier, easier part of the day. Just a really weird turn of events and a T39 and golf, golf mostly, unless you're Tiger Woods, allows you to basically disappear once you've fallen out of contention. So it's not like we're yeah. seeing every shot he hits, but pretty strange. You know how when teams like go undefeated through most of the regular season and then they like kind of like cough one up late against a team maybe they should have beat or, you know, this happened to an Ohio State basketball team. I think that Mike Conley team lost like the last game trap. of their regular season. Are you saying Bay Hill was a trap game for John Ron? <laughs> I think we trapped his ass when we were asking him about trying to to match Tiger Woods after his first round 65. Yeah. He's like, are you uh, not just playing against the field, but also <laughs> against the greats? And he was kind of like, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, so that's what that felt like. And so he'll probably bounce back up very soon. Also down, Sean, I'd have to say playing through is not totally doing it for me. I appreciate the cadence that with which they show golf shots, but especially, you know, I'll pull it up on my phone sometimes and then I'll flip the phone, you know, upright, say I've got to send a quick text or something. So now the screen is playing in the upper 38% of my phone. And of that 38% of my phone, there's a box in the corner of that box that is probably, I don't know, like 28% of the, the TV screen. So now I'm watching golf on 
like what is basically like six pixels in the corner of my phone. I'm like, <laughs> look, you, you can have as good streaming quality as you want. This ain't it for me. Um, there was a lot of chatter about the broadcast in general. I feel like, you know, commercial complaints are, are kind of like tired. Like it's not great audio. It's not, I don't, I'm not sure you guys want to hear us rant about how they need less commercials when we don't really have a concrete plan to fix it. Uh, I will say the CEO interview timing today was hilarious because they brought, they brought on the MasterCard CEO and, you know, she kind of gave her introductory remarks. Oh, there's so much exciting stuff that happens at Bay Hill. And sure enough, then Dan Hicks is like, well, yeah, we got to go pinging around to the, all these different things. Speed's missing short pots. Hatton's missing short pots. Rory makes like a 40 footer. And eventually they're like, oh, okay, let's, let's get back to our interview here. Um, uh, so well, yeah, they front the money and we're about to talk sponsorships. So we sure are. And it's a, that's the world. It's a real dilemma. In. But I will, uh, there were definitely positives. Like it's a hard thing to come back to reality after the epic drone shot, scenic golf course, ridiculous setting that is the stretch of, you know, Pebble, mm -hmm. even with a weak field, the waste management, um, Riv, Tory, all those courses present incredibly well on TV. You go to suburban Orlando, even if you have a, a, nice golf course that has some very exciting holes and dramatic leaderboard. Like that's a, that's a little bit of a tall task to live uh, up to. So I feel like Orlando is the punching bag location of the golf industry. Well, definitely tough. of this podcast. I, <laughs> I am anti Orlando. Okay. All right, let's move on. Um, who's up? Who's for up? Me? Yes. Jin Young Ko. Oh, your girl. Yes. I'm glad that you brought this up. Jin Young Ko Why wins. On the LPGA Tour, she wins in Singapore, um, and she beat Nelly Korda in the process. This was her first win in a very long time, a couple years ago, like just a couple years ago. She was on top of the women's golf world. She was having arguably the best season in all of golf that year, and she was unbeatable. Like she was, I don't remember what the number was, but it was dozens of rounds in a row in the 60s which is just uh offensive to those of us who can't even break 80 but um she won and she completely broke down after the final putt dropped and people were running onto the green to do what they do and spray her with water and give her hugs and she like could barely pick her chin up because she was so overcome with emotion um and what's too bad is like it happened in Singapore, and so it's it's a tough thing for most of the golf world to pay attention to. Um, we don't already pay enough attention to the LPGA Tour, but they it's such a like a stop and start beginning to the LPGA Tour season that I'm per personally like very antsy for it to get going. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why this is good. Like I'm I'm excited for them to get back to Florida and California and start playing with some um, legit frequency, but. Yeah, she's up though. She called she it her most up. important victory, which I thought was really, wow. really interesting. And I, and I get it. It's like you know, you don't know. You just don't know. We talk about it all the nope. time. You don't know if if when it starts to go bad, if it's ever coming back. And she had such a run at number one um, that to see her then again battling it out with Nelly Corda, like it's 
2021 all over again. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So that's a great selection. Um, different, different extent of comeback, but encouraging returns for two former Ryder Cup stars who I would like to say are up, <laughs> and that is Webb Simpson, who shot 66 today to finish T24. That's the first time he's finished inside the top 50 in his last 13 starts, Sean. So our man Webb has been down bad. Um, good for him. And then Francesco Molinari has oh. also been down bad, had a, a very quiet T14. Uh, he was actually <laughs> one, one 18th hole bogey away from getting his first top 10 since, I don't know, oh. maybe like the Amex last last year. Man, it would be really fun if he got hot this summer. Oh, can you imagine? Right He's got to be there in some capacity, right? He would be. He would have. He to will be, be a, there. He'll be a captain. No doubt. He'll be an assistant, assistant captain. Yeah, and Tommy Flea would be will be the leader of his pod or whatever. Um, but would be just super cool if he got if he got back to playing his best golf or just something less than his best golf, and earned his way onto that team that definitely needs players. <laughs> definitely needs players. So, Sean, there are well at one point there were seven guys one shot back of Kurt Kitayama, I believe. So it was really eight players with a chance to win this thing. Rory, Harris English, Patrick Cantlay, Jordan Spieth, Scotty Scheffler, Tyrrell Hatton, Victor Hovland. Um I think all of those guys except maybe not Harris English would have been in this sort of event. A year from now, the next version of the event. Yeah, and Harris English might be in it in the future um, because he came back from an injury last year. So there might have been some sort of like extension on injury um, because he was on that Ryder Cup team at Whistling Straits. People forget how well he played in 2021. Um, But one thing I want to be very keen to mention to people is as we go through the designated event schedule this year, there are going to be events like um, Phoenix, where one of the best players in the world beats an incredible field and in the process only clips a player who is not a top 50 player, like Nick Taylor was, um, by a little bit. And there will be a massive discussion on the 2024 schedule because Nick Taylor would not have been playing in a designated event next year. Yes. This could have been the discussion this week if Kurt Kitayama was number 51 or whatever last yeah. year instead of 41. Yeah, but he was 41. So like when people look at this and be like, hey, people like Kurt Kitayama can beat the best players in the world, just know that Kurt Kitayama is going to be in all these events next year. He was already going to be in all the designated events this year if those rules would have been in place. He, he might have baller tendencies he might be he might be just kind of sneaking around as a very good golfer and so don't equate him to the 115th player yeah FedEx so i just wanted to basically use that as a segue because i know you want to talk about these changes a little bit i know you want to talk about james hahn and his um i don't know musings whatever you would call them uh james hahn has been thinking about the new PGA tour setup and he doesn't like it one bit. What do you think of it, Sean? And how do you evaluate James Hahn's claims yeah. about these changes? And I guess, first of all, what is 
What's the yeah. overview of the changes? Let's talk through the changes now. Like we're already 45 minutes in. So if you're still listening, you are a golf nerd and this everyone's is direct, still listening. Come this, on. Is, this is directly for you. But basically the PGA tour announced that the 2024 schedule is going to take designated events that we've already been seeing. Phoenix was one this year. Genesis was one. This week was one. Players is one. The match play is one. The majors are them. The playoff events. The, the PGA Tour is taking those events next year and thinning the herd for half of them. Eight of the events next year, um, the, or the way that they are going to be filled next year, is by FedEx Cup finish this year. If you are a top 50 player in the FedEx Cup this year, which includes uh, a couple of rounds of the playoffs, you will get your way into all the designated events. You will have qualified. The remaining 20 to 30 spots in those designated events next year, now this does not include the majors, which have their own qualification system, does not include... Um, the players or the playoff events. The next 20 to 30 spots are going to go to people who are currently playing well this year or playing well recently. The schedule slots between designated events will be their own little mini qualification periods where I think the number is five guys. Well, if you play well these three weeks, if you bounce around from... Um, you know, say Phoenix to Honda into Bay Hill, and you've played really well, a couple top 10 finishes, then you'll earn your spot into Bay Hill. So it's a bit of a ladder system or a, you know, stratification system where you kind of have to play your way in if you're not already in. And all that really is doing is creating 70 to 80 player fields in the biggest uh, events in eight of the biggest events, they have $20 million purses. Um, and that really pissed some people off because this year we have designated events with full fields. We have Phoenix with 140 players. We have Genesis with 132 players. We have Bay Hill, however many players they had this week. 120, I believe this week. Yeah. And so they are thinning the access to some of those biggest events, to the players who played best last year and who are currently playing best right now. As Rory McIlroy called it, the top players and the hot players. And um, in the process of that announcement, they also announced that those eight events with 70 to 80 players are also going to have no cut. And I think they probably could have avoided this announcement. I really think they didn't need to say that announcement right now. These are events that will not happen for another nine months at the very earliest. Um, and that corner of the announcement caused a scene. <laughs> it got people riled up on Twitter. A lot of PJ Tour players found out this information on Twitter. And so they were working without a whole lot of information for hours before Jay Monahan issued a memo to the membership. And basically, we saw some really, really poor discourse playing out in the pro golf online world. Um, and it carried on throughout the weekend as James Hahn was sounding off um, about how the, yeah, so what's his were chief made. complaint? What's it like? What is he, what is, what are, what are his issues? How would you summarize James Hahn's issues with the changes? 
James Hahn's issues with the PGA Tour are that he thinks it creates mostly a closed system in which the top players are going to be rewarded to stay as top players, are going to annually have benefits in their schedule that James Hahn cannot access so that their schedule includes the biggest events, includes the most FedEx Cup points, includes the most money. It becomes a gravy train for players of Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy's ilk. And... Um, like a lot of his arguments recently, James Hahn is extremely short-sighted. He is not diving into maybe the nuances of what he's even saying. Um, and <clears throat> I think part of the issues with, with it is that he is feeling personally attacked. James Hahn is, <clears throat> at this point, he's ranked 300th in the world. He is, according to Data Golf, the 190th ranked player in the world. But he is a full status PGA Tour member, so he can get into a lot of events this year. He played at the Phoenix Open, played pretty well at the Phoenix Open. He's getting into these events as he has done last year, as he did the year before that, as he has done throughout his entire career. But I'm going to tell you something, Dylan. It's been a really long time since James Hahn was a top 50 player in the world. And now top 50 can mean a lot of things. It can mean like the true best performers. It can mean top 50 world golf ranking. Um, in terms of the PGA Tour and who gets into these events, it will be top 50 FedEx Cup. But just to use uh, data golf, James Hahn last, was last a top 50 player in the world exactly five years ago when he was ranked 48th according to data golf in february of 2018 he has since not been close he has been mostly in the 100 to 150 range which i will say is often good enough for you to get your pga tour card back and have that generally unfettered access to all the wealth of the pga tour you play well you're going to stay on the pga tour the pga tour is saying james we're moving the goalposts a little bit. Not really moving them. We're kind of thinning them. And we don't think that you can kick a field goal. <laughs> Rory McIlroy is going to have no problem kicking these field goals. He's one of the greatest golfers who ever lived. James Hahn and players of your level, there's a lot of people like that. You've been doing just fine for a long time. But in the face of competition from Live Golf, and in the face of a need to have bigger purses, and in the face of a fight for the best players in the world to stay on this PGA Tour and to give sponsors value and to guarantee that those top players play every event and play the weekend, we're making changes. Try and kick this field goal. And James Hahn is freaking out on the 45-yard line, shaking his boots, knowing that he can't kick those field goals. Knowing he might That's retire. He's looking at the end <laughs> of his career. Here's where I appreciate James Hahn's concerns, I guess. I think that it's intriguing to wonder if um, the tour has created too close a system. It will take some time to see whether players actually do cycle in and out quickly enough. Um, but, and I also think he's correct about a couple of things. Is yeah. he, he, he's sort of accusing the tour of wanting to pad the pockets of the most influential voices. He says, you know, well, people seem to listen to Patrick Cantlay and Jordan Spieth uh, more than they listen to me. And he sort of is saying that the 
the gig seems to be rigged against players like him who have represented the bottom half of the PJ tour in recent years. And to all of that, I would say, yes, that is exactly what is happening. And the reason that's happening is because that is what needs to happen. That's the way the tour responds to live. That's the way the tour gets more efficient with their product for a long time. The model has basically been, yeah, okay. Everyone that's on the PGA tour will, will earn, you know, roughly the same living. The guy that's in 124th on the money list. Yeah. He's, he's going to make maybe a third of what the guy who's 15th in the money list might make. And yeah, he doesn't bring as many fans in. He doesn't really cause a stir of any kind. Uh, he doesn't probably sell many tickets, but you know, life's all good. We're looking out for all of our stir. guys. Yeah. Well, in this case, he's causing a stir. We're looking out for all of our guys, though. That's kind of been the way the tour is operated. Now it's like, okay, no, it's time. It's time to, it's time to make the system more efficient. It's time to streamline, and it's time to have these elevated events where, I mean whether it's luck or whether it's a sign of things to come, the PJ tour has seen the, the cream of the crop really rise to the top. These things have been really, really competitive, but yeah, if James's concern is, well, the PJ tour is not thinking about guys like me, I would say, yes, that is true. And that is <laughs> the whole point. And in part, because there is no one demanding that the PGA Tour think about James Hahn. Um, <clears throat> I want to read off the PGA Tour's mission statement to you because, <laughs> because I think the mission statement gets bastardized a little bit when decisions like this are made. Because every PGA Tour player, or most of them, uh, are going to tell you that the mission of the PGA Tour is to create playing opportunities for pro golfers. It's not literally that. It just isn't. The PGA Tour's mission statement, as laid out on pgatour.com slash company slash about, are these words. By showcasing golf's greatest players, we engage, inspire, and positively impact our fans, partners, and communities worldwide. So those are, there are figures there to think about. Greatest players. I felt positively impacted today. (laughs) I would like to get that on the Hell yeah. But- who are the greatest players by showcasing golf's greatest players that has not always been spelled out in a way that delineates Rory McIlroy from James Hahn. But if you wanted to put your own definition of it in play, you would probably say, yeah, James Hahn is not one of golf's greatest players. Um, we engage, inspire and positively impact our fans, partners and communities worldwide. Now, which fans, partners or communities are signing up to watch James Hahn, are caring about James Hahn, are doing anything in their Saturday-Sunday schedule to think about James Hahn. He is not, at its core, a really big part of the PGA Tour's mission statement compared to the kind of players who are going to reap these benefits. And so, like, the PGA Tour had been a very flat thing, as you just laid out, for a very long time, and as we both wrote about this week, it just, in my mind, I think it just created a food chain, man. Like a lot of the players on top can eat from wherever they want to. And the players on the bottom might get eaten a little bit, but they can also make a pretty good life living in, in taking uh, what is not scraps. Yeah. 
Yeah, you wrote about James this Hunt. this week. I think you. I think that was the perfect imagery. It's like the. It's like when you go to, you're staying at some hotel and you can either get just the buffet or you can get the all inclusive where you get the omelet bar. You can order off the menu. <laughs> you got all these a la carte options, and in this case, the James Hans of the world, the the rank and file PJ Tour members, all they're doing is. You know, look, they just they just got to go to the buffet. Maybe the eggs are a little chilly, but look, they're going to get their eats in. Yeah, and these meanwhile, these other guys are, they've got options galore. It's going to be really good stuff. Yes. Uh, what James Hahn has wrong about this, I think uh, is pretty obvious to me, is he's also, he's making it sound like access to the big events being taken away from him will keep him from getting into them next year and the reason why i think that's wrong is because he's really talking about he's not talking about the majors you qualify for those on your own he's uh not talking for the the fedex cup playoffs which has a bigger net to pull from and he's not talking about um the players championship which i believe will be a full field with the cut so he's talking about these eight events now you look at across the PGA Tour schedule moving forward. It is beginning of January through all of August. That's a lot more events than eight. In fact, James Hahn is probably going to have a tour schedule that is 20 to 22 events. And that does not include the fall, which is still yet to be figured out. You might be able to play your way into designated events by playing really well in the fall. In fact, I think that might be a fantastic opportunity for these guys to have some churn. Um, but anyway, James Hahn's going to make a living. The events in the middle, the the you know formerly known Honda Classics, the uh, Detroit Rocket Mortgage, the 3M Open, the John Deere Classic, their purse sizes aren't getting depreciated. They are going to be the same. In fact, they maybe even will get even better uh, if, if these events can have the intended effect of having better fields, there'll be more pressure on these sponsors to pony up the purses for that. And so James Hahn's going to probably play a pretty similar schedule, just won't have as great of access to the $20 million purses. And uh, I don't think he deserves it. <laughs> That's kind of the point here. He's 41 years old. He's lived a pretty good life, but he's not one of the 150 best players in the world right now. So who's to say that he deserves access to the Genesis Invitational? Yeah, and and I think that the key here is that he will get access if he plays well enough to earn it and that there are still yes. a lot of opportunities. And we had a really fun ending to the Honda Classic that I think no one necessarily saw coming when you looked at the field in advance. Chris Kirk and Eric Cole were battling down the stretch. It's cool to me that the added context and the immediate reward of these tournaments going forward will be, oh man, and they get into the big time events mm -hmm. and they get, totally. you know, the concrete immediate after effect of Eric Cole finishing second is look, he, he now gets a battlefield promotion into mm -hmm. the next set of designated events, how that would work out, whether it's through the FedEx cup standings or just the, the recent hot player standings. I don't know, but it seems like he would have been in this field. So I think there's a lot to like here. I think the no cut thing seems like a bummer to me. It seems like a miss. It seems like you could you could have 80 guys and you could cut them down to 50 for the weekend or something just to kind of keep that element alive uh, because yeah. I do think that's a fun part of it. But this is just adding a, a top layer to a giant meritocratic system 
Yes. It's not all perfect, but it is, you know, it's pretty good. I mean, yeah. It's, it's also fun. not live golf. These events are going to be really fun. It's very much not live golf. It is, has, I understand, I understand the easy comparisons. I feel like a lot of them are being made in bad faith. Um, and it is reactionary. I think that there is no question about that. If the PGA tour could go back in time, then yeah, it would be a better look for them to get out ahead of it. So I get it, but I I don't really agree with some of these comparisons. I would like to read off uh, a couple names here from 51 through 59 last year's FedEx cup standings. Bring it 51. I want you to stop me. I want you to, bring the podcast to a screeching halt if any of these names freak you out as a player that you think need to be in the biggest events in the world 51 christian bezeidenhout good job on 50, you 52 luke list 53 emiliano grigio that's how you're supposed to pronounce his last name by the way as confirmed by our friend tomas uh number 54 now this is based off of FedEx Cup season 2021 into 2022. Yeah, yeah. This is not get on not with it. The fall. What do you got? Who you got for number me? 54 is Keegan Bradley. That's why I had to. Say oh, jeez. Because you can't you can't react to Keegan Bradley because he didn't have that great of a summer last. Well, you year. know he what, Sean? Fall. He is stunting now, so he would be in these yeah. events no problem. It would be no issue. Yes. Uh, 55 Sebastian Munoz. 56 Cam Davis. 57, friend of the program, Mackenzie Hughes, who won in the fall but did not play that well in the summer. Uh, 58, Siwoo Kim, really had his coming out party in September. 59, Jason Kokrak went to live. 60, Mark Leishman went to live. 61, Brendan Steele eventually went to live. But all of that is to say that none of those names stand out to you as like, holy crap, man, if he's missing out on designated events, that's really bothersome, right? No, I think that that's correct. And I think as designed, the system will then encourage guys who are in that part of the ranking to show up to score some points at different events that they might not play otherwise. You're going to get Keegan Bradley at the John Deere Classic. Um, Hell yeah. Here's the interesting thing remaining to me now, Sean. Okay, say you are in this top 50. You're playing in a bunch of these designated events, but you are not playing well. Are you suddenly going to play a lot? Like, are you going to add basically every event? That's my yeah. that's my first curiosity. My second curiosity is, okay, we now have this stratified system half in place, but the FedEx Cup points are still pretty flat. So I could be slightly wrong on this, but I think that the FedEx Cup points available for the Mexico Open and the FedEx Cup points available for the elevated Wells Fargo are pretty much the same, but all mm. the top players will be playing in Wells Fargo. Almost zero top players will be playing <laughs> the Mexico Open. So there is a serious opportunity yeah. for some arbitrage, for some bad behavior, for some No, FedEx not Cup. bad behavior. Good behavior. Martin Clever Turner, behavior. go get yourself some points. Get yourself some of that. Um, as a result, I'm, I'm going to call them FedEx Cup bandits for now because I think they could just go and... <laughs> pillaging some of these lesser events for FedEx Cup points. Oh. I'm really, really interested to see how that plays out. Uh, there's less money available, but you could be investing in your future by going and, you know, bagging like a third place finish at one of these events. Fantastically, number 50 in last year's FedEx Cup, Mito Pereira would have guaranteed himself 
access to all the designated events, all these $20 million purses. Hey, dude, just go and play your golf. Play it over four rounds, not three, and you're going to make good money. You're going to probably continue to be in the top 50. Uh, but no, took the bag, went to play on live with his buddies. Can't blame him, but also might not ever come back. Sean, I think that's a great place to leave it because I've got to go pack my bags to uh, take a red eye down to Jacksonville, hit up nice. TBC Sawgrass, um, where I will try to do some drop zone reporting on the ground. Good. You uh, you go do your thing. I'm cooking dinner, and we'll get back to book writing. All Thank right. you all for listening. This has been The Drop Zone. Check out our YouTube page. What a fun show. See you soon.